All right, now let's open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17. We'll begin reading in verse 9. And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant therefore, thy and thy seed after thee in their generations. This is my covenant which ye shall keep between me and you, and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised, and ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. He that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man child in your generations. He that is born in the house or bought with money of any stranger which is not of thy seed. He that is born in thy house and he that is bought with thy money must needs be circumcised. And my covenant should be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised man-child whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. And God said unto Abraham, As for Sarai thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall her name be. And I will bless her, and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. Then Abraham fell upon his face, and laughed, and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is an hundred years old? And shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? And Abraham said unto God, O that Ishmael might live before thee. And God said, Sarah thy wife, shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, and with his seed after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him, and will make him fruitful, and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he begat, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time, in the next year. And he left off talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. And Abraham took Ishmael his son, and all that were born in his house, and all that were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in the selfsame day, as God had said unto him. And Abraham was ninety years old and nine, when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael his son was thirteen years old when he is circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. In the selfsame day was Abraham circumcised, and Ishmael his son, and all the men of his house, born in the house, and bought with money of the stranger, were circumcised with him. We'll end our reading there. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father, we bow in your awesome presence. We bow before you as King of kings and Lord of lords, as the almighty God. And we come before you with reverence, fear and trembling at coming into the presence of the thrice holy God. We come carefully, reverently, and thankful that we can come boldly and confidently before your throne of grace in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ because of who he is and everything that he has accomplished for his people. 
So, Father, we bow before you thankfully. How thankful we are for the Lord Jesus Christ, whose blood has cleansed your people from all of our sin and made us accepted in thy sight. How we thank you for his obedience, freely given to us, the only way sinful men and women such as we are could be made righteous. Father, we're thankful. Oh, how thankful we are for the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, I beg of you this evening that you would send your spirit upon us and enable us to worship, to truly worship from the heart, to hear of Christ our Savior. Father, I pray you'd give us a heart of faith to believe and receive the things of Christ the Savior that we hear preached. Cause us to fall at his feet and cling to him, to beg him for mercy, to find in him all that we need, and to want nothing else but him. Father, we're thankful for this place, a place where your gospel is preached, a place where your people meet together in peace and unity. Father, I pray you'd preserve it. For your glory's sake, preserve this as a lighthouse of grace in this dark, dark day. Father, for our sake, for our children's sake, for the sake of our community, we pray that you'd preserve this place as a place where sinners can come and hear the Savior. Father, we thank you for the many blessings of this life. We freely admit you've blessed us beyond measure, beyond all people. You've blessed us, Father. You've made us rich in material things, our homes, our families, our jobs, the things that you've given us. It's of your grace. It's not because of our skill and wisdom. It's because of your grace. And Father, we thank you. And while you've blessed us spiritually, materially, physically, yet, Father, we're just in this flesh. We're still a poor and a needy people. And Father, we pray a special blessing for those that you brought into the time of trouble and trial. We pray for Novi as she awaits this transplant that, Father, you'd move quickly on her behalf. Others who are facing tests and surgeries and awaiting results and in deep waters. Father, you know the need of each one of your sheep. We pray you'd reach your hand of, of mercy and protection down and provide for your people. Give us a special portion of your presence, we pray. Now all these things we ask, and we give thanks in that name which is above every name, the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. All right, I've titled the message this evening, The Importance of circumcision. Now, earlier in this chapter, we began looking at it a couple weeks ago. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the name of the Almighty God. I mean, you think what what a what a moment that was. The Almighty God appeared to Abraham, and He revealed to Abraham His covenant of grace. You might remember I told you this: God's covenant of grace is not a covenant between God and men. Where God says, man, if you will do this, then I will do this. That's a covenant of law, isn't it? We messed that up right off the bat in Adam. God's covenant of grace is not a covenant between God and men. It's a covenant between God and God. It's a covenant made with one, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that covenant concerns many. It concerns all of God's elect. Now God's covenant of grace, it's a promise. It's a promise that God's going to save a sinful people by His grace. 
It's a promise that God made with God concerning how he's going to glorify himself by saving sinners who cannot save themselves. And this covenant is sure. God is the one who made all the promises in the covenant and God's the one that's going to fulfill every requirement of the covenant. That makes it sure. In this covenant, it's the covenant of the whole Godhead. God the Father, he chose a people to save. Out of Adam's fallen race, he chose a people to save for no other reason than God decided to set his love upon them and choose them. It wasn't because they were any better than anybody else. It just God simply chose them, even though they didn't deserve it. In this covenant, God the Son promised he would come in the flesh and he would save those people. He would make them righteous by his obedience and he put their sin away by his death upon the cursed tree. And God the Holy Spirit promised He'll come and give all those people life and faith in Christ through the preaching of Christ. Now I'm telling you, that's quite a covenant. We ought to be so interested in this covenant of grace. What an amazing promise the Almighty God made. He's going to save a sinful people all by Himself. It's by His grace. They're not going to contribute one thing to it. He's going to do it all for them and give it to them freely. See, in this covenant, God says, I will, and you shall. I will save you, and you shall be saved. I will call you, and you shall come unto me for life. I will keep you, and you shall be kept. Wonder why God told Abraham you're going to keep this covenant and your generations after you? God's because I'm going to keep you. I'm going to keep you, and you shall be kept. These people they're going to, that God reveals himself to, they're going to continue. They're going to keep hoping and trusting in the Lord. They're going to trust in the almighty God. They're not going to trust in anything about themselves. They're going to trust in the Lord. And I tell you why they're going to keep doing it. God's going to make sure they do. He set his affection upon them and he's not going to let them go. That's God's covenant of grace. He revealed to Abraham. Now in our text tonight, God gives Abraham an outward token of this covenant. Is circumcision. And circumcision was a very, very important thing under the Old Testament law. Very important to the Jews. And circumcision served its purpose as long as the law was in effect. But even while the law was in effect, now we have to remember this, circumcision was only a token of the covenant. Circumcision never saved anybody. Circumcision never made anybody righteous. It never made anybody holy or clean. All it did was cut away part of the body. Circumcision never made somebody part of the covenant of God's grace in Christ. Because that would be by their works, by something that they did. We can't enter into a covenant of grace by our works. Doesn't that just make sense? We can't enter into a covenant of grace by our works. So circumcision never made anybody part of the covenant of grace. It was a token. It was a picture, and I'll show you this in a minute. It's a picture of the new birth that God performs in the hearts of his people. Circumcision only affected the flesh. That's all it affected. So it never saved anybody. It never affected anybody spiritually. But circumcision is a picture of many, many blessings that God gives his people in the new birth. And that's what I want us to look at tonight. So first of all, circumcision, it's a picture of the new birth. Look again here at verse 9, Genesis 17. And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant therefore. 
thou and thy seed after thee and their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you, and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. Now that's all it is. It's a token. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you. Every man child in your generations. He that's born in the house or bought with money of any stranger, which is not of thy seed. The only way for a man to be a Jew, to be able to take part in the, the forms and the ceremonies and things of the religious uh, Jewish religion was to be circumcised. A man could not participate in these things unless he was circumcised. It was required. And if you weren't circumcised, you were not part of this covenant. Look what he says in verse 14. And the uncircumcised man-child, whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul should be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. See, you, you can only be a part of this covenant if you're circumcised. But circumcision was just an outward token. It was just an outward token that man is part of the Jewish nation. It was a token. Now, the Jews lost sight of this, especially by the time our Lord came. They lost sight of this. It was just a token. I mean, the Lord said it here. It's a token. It's a picture. It's an outward physical picture of the new birth, just like every other picture of the Old Testament. The, the sacrifice of the Passover lamb. Killing that lamb never saved anybody, did it? No, that, that Passover lamb is a picture of Christ our Passover sacrifice for us. When they caught the blood of that Passover lamb, put it on the doorpost. Well, that never saved anybody. That never, that never purified anybody from their sin. It was just an outward picture, wasn't it? It was an outward picture of faith in Christ. When somebody put that blood on the, on the, the doorpost, it was an outward picture. I believe that the blood of Christ is all it takes to save me from God's wrath. It's the blood of Christ applied to my heart. God sees that when he's coming in justice. When he sees that, he'll pass over me because he knows there's already been death in this in this house. The blood of, of Christ is, is an outward token, a picture of faith in Christ. And that's all circumcision ever was. Now, if you look over at Deuteronomy chapter 10, I'm, we're going to turn to some scriptures tonight. I know it's Wednesday. You've been working all day. So if you want to jot, jot these down, look at them later. But uh, I think it'll be a benefit to, to turn and look at some of them. You know, it wasn't, um, the Lord didn't wait till Christ came, till the apostles were preaching, to tell somebody, this is just a token. He told them that in the Old Testament. He made that clear. Look, Deuteronomy 10, verse 16. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no more stiff-necked. See, he told us this, this uh, circumcision is a picture of repentance and submission. It's not of the flesh. He said, circumcise your heart. You need a new heart so, you, so you'll repent and you'll bow to Christ. Look over chapter 30 of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. And the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart and the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul that thou mayest live. Now one of the commandments of the, the Ten Commandments 
requires us to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our heart, all of our soul. Well, the man's natural heart is enmity against God. That heart can't love God. The only way that you and I could ever love God with all of our heart and with all of our soul is if God gives us a new heart. He circumcises the heart. When he talks about circumcising the heart there, he's talking about the new birth, giving us a new heart, a heart that does love God, does believe Him. And if you look over at Romans chapter 2, now that was there in the Old Testament all along, wasn't it? Now in Romans chapter 2, Paul explains it just to make sure we, we got this down. He explains this, that this circumcision, it's the new birth. Romans chapter 2, verse 28. For he's not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he's a Jew, part of spiritual Israel, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. So God requires that his people have a new heart. Well, we can't produce it. But because of God's covenant of grace, because God promised he's going to save his people by his grace, God the Holy Spirit is going to give this new heart and the new birth to all of God's people. And that heart is going to love Christ. That heart will believe Christ and cling to him and will never believe in anything else. I'm not sure where this got started. I don't know if because we say, the, the Trinity is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So I think somehow people are mistakenly think, well, they kind of go down in importance as you go, you know. The Father's more important than the Son, the Son's more important than the Spirit. I hope we don't ever forget this now. How important the new birth is. How important is it we be given a new heart? Here we can't be saved without it. Can't be saved without it. This covenant is not complete until God the Holy Spirit does what he promised to do and give his people a new heart. And he's going to do it. He's not going to break his promise. He's going to give this new heart to all of his people. It's a surety. Then secondly, circumcision and repentance. You know, they're both painful to the flesh. I'm going to be delicate here. The first circumcisions were not done on eight-day-old babies. They were done, you know, an eight-day-old baby, I'm sure that's traumatic, but they don't remember. This thing was done to adults. I mean, full-grown men, 99-year-old men. All of them were, were adults, and it was painful. But you know, that pain, God required it, that they be circumcised, but that pain had no spiritual merit whatsoever. I knew a man one time, many, many, many years ago, as an adult, he was reading the scriptures and saw the, the importance of circumcision. And this fella circumcised himself. I mean, you talk about one tough old bird now. Tougher than me, I can tell you that. Um, and he did it to keep the law. He did it to make himself more righteous. And uh, I just bet you this is, this is so. He's pretty sorry about that. <laughs> When the Lord later on taught him, the circumcision is that circumcision of the heart. It's a work of God in the heart, not a work in the flesh. But that's how this, these first circumcisions were done. 
And this, this pain, this torment that they went through, that's a clear picture of how painful repentance is to the flesh. I mean, there, I don't think there's anything this flesh hates more than repentance toward God. Look at Colossians chapter 2. The only way you and I will ever repent and turn to trust Christ is when God circumcises the heart. Colossians 2, verse 11. In whom also ye are circumcised for the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now this putting off the body of the sins of the flesh, that's repentance. Repentance is to quit trusting our works of the flesh. So those things in the circumcision of the heart, when God gives a new heart, those things are cut off. We, we quit trusting in, in the works of our flesh and we turn to, to Christ to trust him. That's what repentance Repentance is not just being sorry. I mean, I guess that, that's part of it. But repentance is, is a turning. It's a 180 degree change. We trust the opposite of what we used to trust in. We used to trust in the flesh. Now that's cut off. Now we turn to to trust Christ. And only God can cut away the flesh like that. And he does it by giving a new heart. A new heart that trusts Christ. Now, to the new man, to you who believe, oh, that's a joy, isn't it? That God gave you this heart so you trust Christ, so you believe him, so... So you, you're thrilled hearing the gospel preached. So you, 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 you love reading his word. You, all, you couldn't do that unless God gave you a new heart, could you? Oh, what a thrill that is. But I don't care how long you've been trusting Christ. That's painful to the flesh. It's so painful to the flesh. The flesh never quits. Never quits. Because the flesh is just not going to give up what it loves. It's so painful for the flesh to give up what the flesh thinks it's gaining glory from. The flesh thinks I'm gaining glory from keeping the law. It's never going to give up. Never, ever going to give up. Trying to bring you back into captivity to the law. That's that civil war that's going on inside every believer. The old man fighting against the new man. Trying to bring you back into captivity to the law. And the new man will never surrender. He can't not trust Christ. That new man loves Christ and trusts him and will never trust anything else. Now, no one can be saved until we repent and trust Christ. It's impossible. But we can't make ourselves repent. We can't make ourselves trust Christ. Our flesh cannot do it. It's impossible. So God gives Repentance. He gives this gift of repentance and faith to all of his people in the new birth. He gives it to them freely so that we can't not trust Christ. Now, doesn't that make you glad? I'm, that makes me glad. The, I can see somebody uh, having some questions now about circumcision of, of the flesh. But boy, the circumcision of the heart, that makes me mighty glad. Mighty glad. Now look up back at Romans chapter 3. Here's the third thing. Circumcision is a picture of salvation by grace. Romans chapter 3, verse 30. Seeing it's one God, which will justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision by faith. Now when he talks here about the circumcision, 
he means the Jews. In the uncircumcision, he means the Gentiles who never were circumcised. And this is what my friend who circumcised his own self learned later on. Salvation is by grace. And it is by grace alone. And I'll tell you what that means. I'd say about everybody here would give some agreement to this fact, this statement. Salvation is by grace. Well, here's what that means. What we do in our flesh, if salvation is by grace, what we do in our flesh has absolutely no effect on our spiritual state toward God. Absolutely none whatsoever. Because that would be a work. And both the religious, legalistic person like the Jew and the heathen like the Gentiles, they're all saved the exact same way. By grace. And the circumcision that was done or not done in their flesh didn't affect that one bit. Now hold, just, you don't turn to this one. I'll just, we're flipping back and forth here. Let me read this to you in Colossians 3. Here it is in Christ. There's neither Greek nor Jew. There's neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all. Christ is all and in all. Now since it's Christ is all, salvation can't be accomplished by our works, can it? Salvation can only be accomplished by the Lord Jesus Christ because He's all. He's all of our righteousness. He's all of our wisdom. He's all. All the offices, prophet, priest, and king. He's all. He, it's his obedience that brought in righteousness for his people. It's his sacrifice that put away the sin of his people. In salvation, oh, I wish we'd get a hold of this. The only thing that matters is Christ. I, quit, I wish we'd quit quibbling about junk that don't matter. In salvation, all that matters is Christ. And our works don't contribute to that at all. And you know, you know good and well, I'm not saying our, our conduct doesn't matter. Of course it does. But it doesn't affect our spiritual state. It doesn't make us more righteous or less righteous. Salvation can only come through faith in Christ by trusting Him to be everything that I need. And if I trust Him to be everything I need, this is why I can tell you. I'm not going to feel any need to add my works to Him. Christ is all. Now, if the Lord make us realize this, we can't save ourselves. We can't, we can't put away our sin. We can't make ourselves righteous. It's an utter impossibility. But by His grace, God freely gives that salvation to His people. What a covenant. What a covenant. And the token of it is not something in the flesh. It's the heart that God gives. The heart that God gives. Alright, here's the fourth thing. Circumcision is a picture of purifying the heart. Now we need a pure heart. If we're going to stand before God, we need a pure heart. Well, the circumcision of the flesh never did anybody's heart any good, did it? Their hearts, after they were circumcised, their hearts were just as wicked, just as vile, just as dead as they were before. And the very first day that they were circumcising anybody, Ishmael showed us that, didn't he? Ishmael was circumcised. He's still a rebel. The men who crucified our Lord, they hated the Lord so much all those men were, were circumcised. 
But they still had a wicked heart that hated the Savior and they hated God's Son when He appeared to them face to face. They hated His message of salvation by grace so much they killed the Lord of glory. And they worked up people to lie in order to accomplish it. Now they are circumcised in the flesh. Didn't do them one bit of good, did it? They still would not bow to Christ. But look at Acts chapter 15. God gives all of his people a pure heart in the new birth. And God makes his people pure so he'll never cast them out. Acts chapter 15. You know, this thing came up, this question of, of circumcision. Well, you know, there's salvation by grace, but you also got to be circumcised. This was, a, this was such an issue, all the apostles got together to talk about this thing, settle this matter once and for all. Acts chapter 15, verse 5. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed. Now these, you know, I take God's word of what it says. They believed. They believed on Christ. They trusted Christ. But they still said this. It's needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and the elders came together for to consider this matter. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them. He purified their hearts by faith. It wasn't something done in the flesh. He purified their hearts by faith, faith in Christ. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God? to put a yoke upon the neck of his disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. What you want to put them under the law for? We're miserable under this. Don't do that to them. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among them, among the Gentiles by them. See, God sent this thing, the gospel and salvation, to the Gentiles, and he purified their hearts, and this is what Peter found. Peter struggled with this difference between Jew and Gentile, didn't he? Peter struggled with it. And this is what Peter learned. Oh, salvation is by grace. I love the way Peter said that. We shall be saved even as they. It's not, well, you know, those, those Gentiles, those low-down, filthy Gentile, they're going to be saved same way. No, we're going to be saved even as they. Because circumcision didn't matter in this thing. I'm just as sinful. I'm just as dead. I'm just as lost as a heathen who never ever has heard of the name of Jesus Christ. I'm just as lost. And if I'm going to be saved, I'm going to be saved the same way that man is who never heard of Christ before. Somebody's got to come and tell him and God's going to give him faith to believe. Same way with me. Same way with me who knew the name Jesus before I knew the name of my sister. I knew the name Jesus. But I'd lost. I'd just as lost as the man never had heard of Christ. We should be saved, even as they. Salvation and purification of the heart by grace. That's a whole lot better than something done in the flesh, isn't it? Then look back at our text, Genesis chapter 17. Circumcision is a picture of God's eternal covenant of grace. He says here in verse 
13. He that is born in thy house, and he that is bought with thy money, must needs be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. God's telling Abraham, this covenant, this covenant of grace is everlasting. It's not going to end. But now if we think here about God talking about this covenant and the token of circumcision and, and so forth, and, and God calls it everlasting. Well, somebody might fairly ask this question. Well, now the law has been done away with in Christ, hasn't it? This is not required anymore. So it doesn't look to me like this thing's everlasting. What's going on here? Well, here's, here's the, the, the thing. The token of circumcision has ended. Just like all the pictures of the Old Testament. We're not offering sacrifices and lambs and bullocks and we don't got the altar of incense and all these things anymore because all those pictures have been done away with. Christ made an end of the law. Those things aren't required anymore. But the evidence of salvation that's in the heart has not ended. The token of salvation that all of God's people have is God's given us a new heart. And that is everlasting. That, that, that will never end because salvation in Christ is eternal. If you care to look over Hebrews chapter 8. Brother Wayne read this for us Sunday morning. We're talking about it's hard to say. What we we'll read Hebrews 8, Hebrews 9, Hebrews 10. You know, where are you going to stop? But he read this, and I thought about what, what I had kind of in my mind for, for tonight. Hebrews 8, verse 8. For finding fault with him, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with them, with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I'll put my laws into their mind. I'll write them in their hearts. I'm going to give them a new heart and write these things in their hearts. And I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For all shall know me, from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. And their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Now this is God's promise. His eternal covenant of grace. He's going to put it in the hearts of his people. And it can't end. It can't even be changed. It can't even be altered. It's eternal. Their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. I'm not going to get many millennia down the road and start remembering again. I'll remember them no more. And we have a picture of that in circumcision. The circumcision of the flesh is permanent, isn't it? Once it's done, it can't be undone. When the circumcision of heart, of the heart, God gives a new heart of faith. And that heart can't be changed. Just like the flesh can't be changed. The Lord told Nicodemus, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. It is flesh. That's all it will ever be. It can never be improved. But that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. It'll always be spirit. And that new heart God gives His people will always love Christ. Will always believe Christ. 
And we might be, be like those Pharisees, which, which believe but still wanted to keep some of the law of Moses, you know. We might get fuzzed up on something here and there. But the preaching of the gospel will straighten it out. That new heart God gives us say, I believe it. I believe Him. I be- Grave clothes are hard to get rid of. They'll come off eventually, won't they? That new heart's going to hear and believe and bow. I, I believe that. The circumcision of the heart. Oh, that's much better than the one in the flesh, isn't it? That gives us eternal forgiveness of our sins. Then here's the last thing. Romans chapter 11. Circumcision is a picture of this. You cannot mix grace and works. The circumcision of the flesh is not a partial thing. It's all or nothing. Well, salvation is not a partial thing. Salvation by grace is not a partial thing. It's all or nothing. It's all of works or it's all of grace. You can't mix the two. This is what Paul says in Romans 11, verse 5. Even so then, at this present time also, there's a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then is it no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then is it no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. And you know what Paul's saying there. Salvation is all of works or it's all of grace. You mean if it's all of grace, but you got got to add a work to it? Well, it's not grace anymore, is it? If it's all of works, but you add a little bit of grace to it to help finish the job, it's not of works. You can't mix the two. He said the same thing in, in the book of Galatians chapter 5. Let me just read it to you. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised, if he's been circumcised to try to make himself righteous, that man is a debtor to do the whole law. And Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you're fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, Wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision. Nothing done in the flesh availeth anything but faith, which worketh by love. Now Paul's saying if you're circumcised in an effort to make yourself righteous or make yourself more righteous or make yourself more accepted of God, and that applies to any law you can think of, any, anything that you can think of, if you think, you know, if I do this, I'll be more righteous. If you do that, then Christ has become of no benefit to you. His blood, his obedience is of no benefit to you if you think, if I do this, that, or the other, I'll be more righteous. And that's how serious this matter is. If a person is circumcised in an effort to make themselves just a little more righteous, then Paul says, now, now you're a debtor to do the whole law of God. You've got to obey the whole law of God. And if you try that route, you're going to be damned. Because man cannot obey the law. All the law can do is show us how sinful we are and how desperately that we need Christ. Now again, I say, give me this covenant of grace. Give me this circumcision of the heart. A whole lot more than any part of the law. When you say All right, now look at Philippians chapter 3 again. 
You know, I like to always hope that uh, as I preach, I take the things that uh, that we see and are able to apply them to our hearts. Take them, like Brother Cecil Roach said, put them on my lunch bucket, take to work with me tomorrow. I want us to be able to apply now what we've been taught about this matter of the circumcision of the heart. And here's the question I believe we should all be asking ourselves. Has God circumcised my heart? Has God given me a new heart? I mean, it's vitally important, so I'd like to know the answer to that. I hope you would do. We know every one of us can leave here tonight knowing the answer to this question. Has God given me a new heart or not? And here is the, the evidence of it. Philippians chapter 3, verse 2. Now, Paul's still on this subject. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. And what Paul's saying is beware of those people who, who try to make you be circumcised or try to make you keep certain parts of the law in order to be, to be righteous. What they're doing is mixing grace and works. And if you mix grace and works, if you allow somebody to mix grace and works, they're going to mutilate your body and they're going to mutilate your soul. Because salvation can't be by this mixture of grace and works. So run to Christ. This is what Paul's saying. Beware of these dogs. Beware. These, these people, I know they look religious. I know they sound religious. I know they look so moral. But they're dogs and they're evil workers. You run from them. Run away from them and run to Christ begging for a new heart. And if God's given you a new heart, first thing you'll do, Paul says in verse 3, for we are the circumcision. This is, we've been circumcised in the heart, which worship God in the spirit. If God's given you a new heart, your worship, the way that you approach God, is not going to be by what you do in the flesh. It will only be by the Spirit of God. That's the only way you can approach God. You never attempt to approach God in, by your works, but you approach Him by the Spirit in Christ because of who Christ is and what He, by faith in Christ. You come to Him in the heart. Is that the only way you can worship God from the heart? then you've been born again. Second, if God circumcised your heart, Paul says here, you rejoice in Christ Jesus. Now I thought about that. Rejoicing in Christ Jesus. What a thing. And every believer does it. I mean, just get started. If God's given you a new heart, you rejoice in Christ Jesus, in who He is. He's the God-man who became what he was not. He became flesh so that he could save sinners in the flesh. What a miracle. I rejoice in that. This sinner in the flesh, the only way he can be justified is if the Son of God came in the flesh. That's what he did. What an amazing thing. That not just that Christ would come in the flesh, but who would he come in the flesh to save? The worst. The worst. If God's given you a new heart, you rejoice in what Christ Jesus has accomplished. By man, as a man made under the law, he obeyed it perfectly and brought in everlasting righteousness for his people. And by his sacrifice, by his blood, he made the Father say, Their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. <laughs> he made them not to exist anymore. The Father talked in, in language maybe you and I could understand. God is spirit. He doesn't have a front and a back. But this is what God said. Their sins I've cast behind my back. Well, where's that? God's everywhere. The blood of Christ made the sin of his people to not exist. 
Well, a sinner can rejoice in that, can't you? We rejoice that God has justified His people and made them without sin. So the Father will accept us. It's because of what Christ... I rejoice in who He is and what He's done. If, if you rejoice in Him, you, God's given you a new heart. And third, if God circumcised your heart, Paul says you have no confidence in the flesh. Now I mentioned this a little bit ago. Our flesh is going to constantly try to get us to trust in what I do or what I don't do. But if God's given us a new heart, that new nature is going to constantly turn away from what the flesh wants to trust in. and Constantly be turning to Christ. Constantly turning to Him. Constantly think, why do I think that? Why do and we turn to Christ. Lord, forgive me. I do. It's constantly turning to Him. I know I can't trust in my works. I know this. My works can only damn me. But I also know this. Christ can save me. In Christ, I can't be lost. My, and by my works, I can't be saved. But in Christ, I can't be lost. So I don't have to trust my works. I trust Christ and Christ alone. And if you find you can only trust Christ, you can only find any comfort for your soul by trusting Christ, God's given you a new heart. And I like uh, the real thing a whole lot better in the picture, don't you? I like a new heart a whole lot better than that, that circumcision of the flesh. But God gave it to us as a picture that we might learn something important about our Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope God will put that in our hearts tonight. Let's bow together. Our Father, how we thank You for this time that You've given us to read and study Your Word, to, to have Christ preach to us. Father, how we thank You for this, this blessed opportunity. And I pray that, Father, You take Your Word as it's been preached and cause it to go forth to Your glory. That each of us can leave here tonight seeing more of the glory of Christ our Savior and rejoice in Christ Jesus. Rejoice. Have our hearts thrilled in resting in Him. It's in His precious name. For His sake we pray. Amen. All right, Jonathan. <clears throat>